Our scripture this morning comes again from uh, the book of Genesis. This morning we will be looking at uh, Genesis uh, chapter uh, 28, and uh, I will be reading the, the entire chapter, Genesis chapter 28, the entire chapter. Uh, listen to what God has to say to you this morning. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessings of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you. And may you take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padnaram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padnaram to take a wife from there, and that he blessed him and he directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padnaram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took his wife, took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalat, uh, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up from the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Sure, the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took, off the, took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this place that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a wonderful well of wisdom. Lord, your word is good for us, And we ask as we examine it this morning that you will grant to us wisdom so that we can live according to your will 
that you will open to us the treasures that are found in your word so that we can serve you more fully. And we make this request of you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And together we say, Amen. I'm sure some of you know the words of the spiritual. Uh, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. I imagine that a few of you in here at least have sung those words as well. Uh, this uh, well-known spiritual was uh, made more popular uh, by uh, uh, musicians that some of you uh, may know. Uh, it was made popular by uh, Pete Seeger. It was recorded by Woody Guthrie and then uh, recorded again by Bruce Springsteen. Uh, the song probably originated in the slave, slave culture of the, uh, of the American South, and some claim that uh, the song has as its end, uh, the place where they are climbing to, is, is for those who were slaves, that they are climbing up out of, uh, Jacob's, uh, up out of slavery, and that's where Jacob's ladder ends. Uh, but I want to suggest to you today that uh, although the song has had an enduring legacy, its message uh, kind of misses the point. Uh, uh, the point of the ladder or the stairway image in the story uh, is really about the way in which Yahweh, God the Lord, uh, uh, encounters the fleeing uh, Jacob. And as we'll see, the ladder is not designed for God's people to climb up and down it. That's not what the stairway is for. As a matter of fact, uh, passage on that is restricted uh, to the angels. And so let's, let's look at this, uh, at this story that, uh, in my judgment, emphasizes uh, uh, Yahweh's gracious initiative in, uh, in uh, Jacob's life. Uh, let's examine uh, the incident in the life of the patriarch first. Uh, let's look at uh, uh, why Jacob was in Bethel or Luz at all. Uh, secondly, let's uh, pay attention to what happened to Jacob that night and then Jacob's response to Yahweh's visitation will provide us with the, uh, a final point that we'll look at. Now, now one of the reasons why uh, Jacob, we find Jacob on his way to Haran is that he's, he's escaping the wrath or the anger of his uh, brother Esau. Uh, for those of you who were here last Sunday evening, uh, we looked at how uh, Jacob uh, deceived his uh, father uh, Esau and he stole the blessing that uh, Isaac wanted to give uh, to, uh, to Esau. That's what was going on. But you also remember that, that the blessing that uh, Isaac wanted to give to Esau really belonged to Jacob. Uh, you may recall the story that uh, uh, the oracle had come to Rebekah, Jake, uh, Jacob's mother, and the oracle had said that the older shall serve the younger. Uh, not only that, that wasn't the only reason why it belonged. You may remember the story of uh, Esau coming in from out hunting and uh, Jacob was making this pot of red stuff is really what it's called. We think it's lentil stew. And for a pot of red stuff, uh, uh, Esau sold his birthright and the birthright included the blessing. Uh, but uh, uh, so as a result of uh, Jacob coming and pre uh, pretending to be Esau and uh, uh, deceiving his father and getting the, the blessing given to him, Esau's uh, wrath against his brother that he calls, he's named the cheater. 
And uh, uh, he cheated me. And he's so angry, he determines that he's going to murder his brother. That's, that's what he's going to do. And Rebecca, his mother, hears of this. Jacob's mother hears of this. And she tells him, you've got to get out of town, Jacob. Uh, you have to obey me. You have to leave. And so Jacob is uh, ready to leave. And he's going to uh, uh, Rebecca's brother, Laban, in Haran. Now, the main reason that Jacob, for Jacob's trip is to save himself from Esau. Yet the text tells us that another reason is this is the way in which Jacob is going to get a wife because they did not want Jacob, uh, Rebecca and uh, Isaac did not want Jacob to marry a Canaanite woman the way in which Esau had married two Canaanite women. This was something that, that was forbidden for the Israelites to do. They weren't to marry Canaanites. That was a taboo for them. That was forbidden for them. And so Jacob is not only going to get away from his brother, he's also going uh, to get himself a uh, a, a wife, and the text tells that even Esau sees that he did wrong and tries to make amends for this by marrying uh, one of Ishmael's uh, uh, daughters. Now, I take it that, uh, uh, that our passage uh, shows that, that Isaac himself recognizes that what he intended to do in giving the blessing to, uh, to Esau instead of Jacob was wrong. And so in our text, we have uh, Jacob, I mean Esau, uh, Isaac, I'll get there eventually. Uh, uh, we have Isaac uh, 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 trying to make amends, if you will, for what was clearly uh, his, his error. And so he pronounces in our text a, a fuller blessing on, uh, on Jacob. And this uh, blessing was comparable to the one that, that God gave to, uh, to Isaac, and uh, this blessing is the one that is first uh, given to Abraham. As a matter of fact, as Isaac gives this blessing uh, to Jacob, he actually calls it the blessing of, uh, of Abraham. Now, as we saw last Sunday evening, uh, all the people in that, that, that story of the stealing the blessing, yeah, every one of the people and all of their actions can only be described as sinful. They were wrong. That's all they were. Everything they did was just about, was about wrong. Uh, we found disobedience to the, to the revealed will of God. They all knew what the oracle said, and they were about had to do different kinds of things. We find this deception of, of uh, father by son, father who is blind. That's how the deception is uh, supposed to work out. We find... Uh, Outright lies are going on here. Now, the entire episode uh, reeks of, of evil. Nevertheless, in the midst of all of that evil, God continues to exercise his control. The participants, each one of them, think they're manipulating God to get what it is that they want. But at the same time, God is working out his plan uh, through, through each of these people. And in Jacob's escape, we see God uh, directing Jacob uh, so that he will go to Haran and uh, he, will, uh, uh, he will go to Haran, to, to Paddan Aram, and he will get a wife there. In fact, he'll get two wives there and he will become what? The father of Israel. I mean, he's, he's Israel, the whole tribe, the whole country, the whole nation will come from that. Now, as we, we see the way in which God is overseeing all of this, I hope that, that you can take some, some comfort from the mess that's in Isaac's family. Now, even amid all of our own sinning and all the times when we try to, uh, to manipulate God, he never relinquishes the control 
just like he was in control of all the things that were going on in the family of Isaac and Rebekah, he's in control of us. And we can take comfort in that. That's why God can, can give us the promise that he does in Romans chapter 8, there at the end when he tells us that uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Not things in the present world, not things in the future, not uh, some kind of heavenly beings. Nothing can separate us. And the reason why nothing can separate us is just as we see coming out to us in this text and in the previous text, Text, God continues to be in control of our lives. And our inclination, brothers and sisters, is to be able to say, hallelujah, that's a good thing. Uh, quite frankly, <laughs> I prefer God's control over my life than mine, and I hope you do also. Uh, let's look now at, at what happened uh, to Jacob at Bethel. Uh, Jacob has traveled perhaps uh, 70 miles. Now remember, he's walking, he's not driving. Uh, he has walked about 70 miles, and he's on a journey that's going to take maybe 450 to 500 miles to get from Beersheba uh, to Haran, and that's all walking that he's going there. And at nightfall, and I judge it's probably about his uh, second day uh, of walking, uh, Jacob... Um, arrives in the area of Luz, that's what it's called. I don't think um, that he went into the city, nothing that we see here suggests that he went into the city. Uh, and we're told that Jacob makes some preparations for his sleeping. Uh, our text points out to us that he took a stone, and uh, I think for many of our minds, we imagine that he used it as a pillow. Uh, there are some commentators that suggest that it wasn't as a pillow, but he put some big rocks around him as kind of a way to protect him and keep little creepy crawly things from uh, coming and walking over his face while he slept. Uh, as some people suggest that that's what's going on for a kind of, of protection. Uh, but during the night, uh, Yahweh visits Jacob in a dream, uh, not an unheard of thing in, in the Old Testament period. And, and one can only imagine the kind of impact that, that a dream where God comes and visits uh, uh, Jacob. He, he, he's a fugitive. I mean, he's running away from home, and the reason why he's running away from home is that uh, uh, his brother wants to kill him. That's, that's what's going on with him, and he's heading to a place he's never been. He's going to ask for refuge amongst people that he's never seen. Uh, and I judge that a visit by Yahweh to Jacob at this time as he, as he sleeps there, either on or beside his rock, and uh, that, that this would have been very reassuring, that it would have been quite comforting. Now, the dream consists of a vision of a ladder extending from heaven to earth. And uh, uh, there is a good deal of difference of opinion on whether the Hebrew word actually uh, it should be translated as ladder or whether it should be translated as stairway. And because it's only used once in the Bible right here, we can't go and look where it's used in some other place to get a good idea. And my own take is that stairway is probably a better uh, translation so that we see uh, uh, angels ascending and descending on it. It seems to me that better fits a, a stairway as we see it here. But on this stairway, these angels are ascending and descending. And this, is, this image reflects the idea that, uh, that angels are engaged in serving God, but at the same time, they are available then uh, to help us. And 
Uh, there's also some question as we try to translate this about exactly where Yahweh is. Uh, some talk about him being above it, uh, and some others uh, suggest that he stood by it. My own take is that it fits the pattern better. And if we see Yahweh in his heavenly place and uh, uh, the angels uh, ascending and descending in order to serve him, it just seems to me uh, to fit the context uh, better. Uh, but... <clears throat> Uh, Yahweh is not only present in this dream, but Yahweh also speaks uh, uh, to Jacob. Uh, the first thing that he does is, is that, that he identifies himself. He says uh, to Jacob, I am the God of, 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 your fa- of Abraham, your father. Now, I know some of you will say, time out. I know that the Jacob wasn't the son of Abraham. He was the son of Isaac. Well, take it easy. Uh, in, in the ancient Near East, uh, you could call anybody your father who happened to be ahead of you in the line of your offspring and so as a matter of fact all the Israelites much later on will call themselves what sons of Abraham read the New Testament our father Abraham so uh, anybody within the line of, uh, of Abraham uh, could be referred to as a son of Abraham, and Abraham could be uh, their father. Uh, Yahweh then proceeds to tell Jacob that the blessings promised to his uh, grandfather and father would also be, be Jacob. And, and for those of you who have good memories, a few Sundays ago, uh, uh, I talked to you about these promises made, uh, reiterated to Isaac that had been made to, uh, to, to um, Abraham, and I, I tried to look at them them under, uh, first of all, the blessing of place, secondly, the blessing of people or progeny, third, under the blessing of prominence, and uh, uh, fourthly, under the blessing of presence. And all of these are here. Now, the first part of the uh, uh, blessing that, that uh, God gives to Jacob at this point is that, that he'll have a place. Uh, he's going to inherit the land. Yahweh tells him, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And this promise of the land has been one that was given to Abraham. It was also reiterated and given to uh, Isaac. The second part of the blessing is that he will have uh, numerous uh, progeny. As a matter of fact, it will be an entire uh, people that will be his. And, and God here identifies these people as numerous as the dust of the earth. The very same promise that he gave to Abraham back in chapter 13, verse 16. Yahweh goes on and he expands on this promise uh, that Jacob's offspring will spread uh, throughout the land in all directions. He says here, east, west, north, south, all those ways. And again, very similar to what he told Abraham. Look this direction, look that direction, walk about it. That's where this land is all going to be for you and for your offspring. Now, the other element in this, uh, of the promise Yahweh makes to Abraham and then again to Jacob is that he's going to give him prominence, that prominence is going to come through his seed, and it is through the offspring, the progeny, if you will, of Jacob that all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's what uh, God promises to him. And the final part of God's uh, blessing on Jacob is that uh, uh, Jacob will always have Yahweh present with him. And uh, he points out that the presence of Yahweh with uh, Jacob means that he will keep him. I think it might even be better for us uh, to, to, to translate that guard him. That's the idea of keeping. And that Yahweh's presence will mean that uh, Jacob is, uh, is uh, guarded. And the scope of these, these promises is, is amazing. Uh, uh, Yahweh says that he will give to 
Jacob, Jacob the fleeing fugitive. He's going to give him a place, a people. Uh, he's going to give him prominence down into the future, and he's going to be present with him. Now, you don't have to be some kind of psychological expert uh, to uh, see the, recognize the kind of impact that the dream and promises of God would have on on Jacob. Jacob is a fugitive. I mean, he's running away, and he's running away, to, as I said before, to a place he has no idea where he's going, to an unknown place. And um, my suspicion is Jacob couldn't have felt very good about himself at that point. Uh, just try to imagine yourself running away into a strange land, going to strange people that you've never seen. Yet in the midst of these circumstances, Yahweh comes to Jacob and he repeats to him those very promises that Jacob had known belonged to Abraham, those very promises Jacob had known belonged to Isaac. And now Jacob has Yahweh in some ways confirming to him that those promises that were, were, were telegraphed in the oracle to Rebekah, those the promises that, that uh, Jacob purchased from his brother are going to come true. They're, they're going to be his. That's, that's what what's happening to him, that even though he, he tried to get them through deception, God is telling him that God is faithful and he's going to give to Jacob these blessings. Uh, Yahweh hadn't abandoned Jacob, whom I describe as a scoundrel. Uh, that's what he was. He's a liar. He's a cheat. Uh, you know, you think about bad things and you can attribute that to Jacob. That's who he is. Uh, the Lord doesn't at all condone the actions of Jacob and his family, uh, but neither does he, uh, does he abandon his purposes for them because they have engaged in patently obvious unrighteous kinds of actions. And quite frankly, I take a great deal of comfort in that. Uh, I suspect that, that if you think about it a minute, that you also will be able to take comfort in that. We engage in sinful actions. We do bad things. And the first thing that comes into our mind is, I've done bad things, and God can no longer be around me to take care of me. I've somehow cut that off. That, that comes into us. That's an idea that Satan plants in our heads. But the God that we serve, the God that, Yah, that, that Jacob served, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ, the God of the New Testament, doesn't abandon his people. And I take great comfort in that. I take great confidence in that. That here I am, a damnable sinner. And because what Jesus did for me, God never abandons me. He can give me that promise, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jacob got to understand a bit of that. I think I'm grasping a bit of that, and I hope some of that is also grasping you as well. Let's look at how Jacob responds to these, these things. Uh, the dream must have awakened Jacob, I take it, in the middle of the night. And, and when he wakes up, the first thing he realizes is, Surely Yahweh is in the place. Yeah, God's here. That's what he recognizes. And, and he adds to his surprise by saying, and I didn't know it. I mean, God is here, and I never suspected that God is here. And uh, when the fugitive fell asleep that night, uh, whether the rock was beside him or under his head, he never expected that the sovereign maker of heaven and earth would come and meet with him. That wasn't, I don't think, anything that was on his mind. Neither did he expect to have all these wonderful promises uh, reiterated to him. 
the text describes Jacob as being afraid, and he adds that this, this place is awesome. That word that's translated awesome really means at its root fear. And Jacob or any of us encounter Yahweh, there should certainly be a sense of awe. And that sense of awe ought to rightly be rooted in a kind of fear that we have for God. For example, uh, when you worship here week after week, uh, when you come into this room and you sit down, do you have a sense of awe? Does, Does fear ever grip you? I sit in those pews often, and I fear it's very hard to think about awe and fear. We live in a very casual kind of society and culture, and, and we aren't struck by awe very much. Not at all. Uh, you know, maybe we will get a little bit frightened by uh, strange machinations that we see on our computers, but only for a second, and it goes away. We live in that kind of a culture. But this Hebrew word about fear talks about having genuine trepidation, real. And well, it should. Uh, When we approach God, when we come into this room and God says that he comes here to meet with us and to receive our, our worship from him, this is the God who said, let there be light, and there was light. He has that kind of a power. This is the God who tells us that he is of pure eyes than to even look at any kind of iniquity. And we come in here as sinners and we know what that God does to sinners. He casts them forever into the burning fires of hell. That's what God does. And when we come into this room week after week after week, just as Jacob came into the presence of God uh, when, when Yahweh came to him in that dream. We also ought to understand something about fear, about awe. And not only ought we ought to understand something about this God who judges and condemns sinner, but we come in here and we come to worship a God who has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and die upon the cross. And when he died upon the cross, he took the punishment The casting of people into hell. He took that punishment for all of us who trust in him. And brothers and sisters, I hope that right now you're getting something of that fear and that awe. That fear of this judging God. But that awe comes from, from, from being in the very presence of a God so gracious as to say to you, you deserve to go to hell. But my son Jesus has taken your place and I come to you and I receive your worship. Think about it. Think about Jacob as he tells us about these things. Now Jacob wakes up in the morning. He rises up. And one of the things that Jacob does is uh, he takes this stone that he had used the evening before and he, he turns it into a pillar. Now these pillars in the ancient world are, are designed to be markers, kind of memorials. You, you may remember that when the uh, Israelites under Joshua crossed the Jordan on dry ground that, that each one of the elders got a, got a stone out of the Jordan and they set it up so when anybody went past they would remember God, the one who had brought them into Israel. They're, they're kind of markers. They're designed to 
call things uh, to memory uh, of people. That's what they are. And uh, Jacob not only sets up this uh, stone, but he also anoints it. And by anointing it, he's, he's consecrating. He's trying to set it aside so that it has a, has a special role, a special place. Anointing was a very important act in the Old uh, Testament. And uh, um, uh, this fits in with uh, Jacob's uh, uh, statement in uh, verses 16 and 17, uh, that where he acknowledges uh, Yahweh was present there. But basic to, uh, to Jacob's response is his acknowledgement of the promises that God has repeated to him, the promises that he had given to Abraham and the promises that he had also given to Isaac. Uh, and, and it may be easy for us to get confused about this uh, the way in which Jacob responds to these promises because in the verse 20, he begins his response with the word if. And we may take that if to mean that if God does these good things for him, then Jacob will be the one who will follow him. But I think we missed that. Uh, my judgment is we could uh, honestly uh, translate those not as if clauses, if you will, but as when or since clauses. Since God has done these things. I think that's an appropriate way because Jacob's already got the promises. God has already said, I'm going to do these things for you. Yahweh told him that, that he, was going to, he was going to get the land. He told him that he was going to have an offspring. Jacob doesn't even have a wife. He's on his way to look for one. Uh, he told him that in that offspring, prominence was going to come. Uh, he told him that he would always be with him and keep him and care for him. And so I think it's appropriate for us to translate those and say, since Yahweh has already demonstrated that. He's going to keep these uh, uh, promises to him. And, and Jacob uh, uh, sets up this stone, he consecrates it, uh, and uh, he makes the pledge to worship at this spot. And he calls this spot Bethel. Uh, Bethel means house of God. And he makes the promise to God that, that uh, when he comes back to this place, he's going to worship him. And if you stick around with me and I last long enough, we're going to get there. And we'll see that when Jacob actually returns to this place, so what does he do? He worships there. He does exactly what he has uh, promised. Uh, Jacob also makes a vow and he says, I will give you a tenth of all that you will provide for me. All that you give to me, I'm going to give you a tithe of that. And, and uh, we're not told how Jacob will give this uh, a tithe or what end that the tithe will have. We have no idea what kind of mechanism uh, was set up for Jacob to do this. But we do know, and we will see as we go along, that Jacob turned out to be a very wealthy man, and we have no reason to doubt that he did not uh, give it this way. But Jacob is saying, I'm responding to the presence of God uh, by promising to worship him. I'm promising to give him a tithe. Now, Jacob's response is to the very presence of God and to the word that God speaks to him. And uh, some of you may be sitting there and saying, you know, preacher, if I had a dream like that, you know, if, if I saw, a, you know, a, a, a ladder or a stairway and angels going up and down it and God speaking to me, it would be easier for me to have a sense of awe and maybe a little bit of fear coming into the presence of God. But, but let me just ask you one of those embarrassing kinds of questions. What's the difference between what you're doing now and what happened to Jacob? God came here this morning to meet with you. 
Just as surely as I'm here, God's here. And just as surely as I'm standing here talking to you, God is speaking to you. That's why he gives his word to you. And I ask you, brothers and sisters, do you, do you get that point? How are you responding to these kind of things? Have you looked down to your watch and said, the time is coming, the preacher's just about done, and we can get out of here? Is that what you're thinking? Is that what's going through your mind? Or are you ready to say, I came here, and I met God this morning. I came here, and God came to this place so that I could be in his presence and offer to that great, marvelous God, that powerful God, that judging God, that creating God, that redeeming God. Could Hormi say, you're great God. You're wonderful. You're marvelous. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus actually alludes to this passage in the first chapter of John's Gospel there in verse 51. and He's talking to Nathaniel that he saw under the tree before Nathaniel even came to him. And Jesus tells Nathaniel that he's going to see greater things than just God, and that's Jesus uh, seeing him under the tree. And he tells him there that these greater things that he's going to see, even the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. These promises that were given to Jacob in some ways culminate in the world in which we're living today. In some ways, they culminate in this room because the promises that were made to Jacob come to fruition in that distant son, if you will, of Jacob named the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Jesus, that Jesus who hung upon the cross is the reason why God could say to Jacob, in you all the nations of the world would be blessed. That's why I can stand before you today and say, I'm blessed. Not a son of Jacob, not a, one of the tribes of Jacob, not from the nation Israel. I'm from all those peoples of all the nations of the world. And I'm blessed because there's a God in heaven who saw me in my sin. And he loved me and he sent his son to die on my behalf. To take away my sins. And brothers and sisters... I find that amazing. I can't understand. I can't comprehend how someone could love me like that and not only love me like that, but invite me week after week after week to come and tell you you are worthy, O oh Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise because you have redeemed people from all over the place, people like me. You can't climb Jacob's ladder. You can't go up and down that staircase. It's reserved for for angels. But that ladder does remind you about a gracious God. You've heard the story. 
God has come here today and he's come here to receive your worship. How do you respond to that? Do you respond with a sense of awe? I know that the word awesome has become overused, hackneyed in our society. But I plead with you today, think about that God. Think about the God of Jacob. Think about the God who gets this lying, deceiving, cheating scoundrel. He comes and he meets with him. Then think about the lying, cheating, deceiving scoundrels that gathered here today. God came. And he came here to meet with you. And then, brothers and sisters, you can use the word correctly. Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray. Lord, you amaze us. You amaze us in your loving kindness. You amaze us in your supervising power over all the world. You amaze us in the way in which you deal with us. And so we come to you and we say to you, thank you. We say you are great and wonderful. And we pray, O oh Lord God in heaven, by the power of your spirit in our hearts, that we will both be struck with fear. Fear of you in your great power, fear of you in your great judgment, but struck also with awe that you, the creating, judging God, have redeemed us in the blood of your, with the blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. You are good, O oh God, and you are awesome, and we love you, and we give you our praise, and we do so in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and together we say, Amen. <laughs>